It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. A Japanese kamikaze is a symbol of radical devotion, someone willing to expend their life for the empire. What makes a kamikaze tick? The answer may shock you. It's faith. The problem lies in the fact that it's a misguided faith in the word of Emperor Hirohito instead of the word of God. Hey, this is Eric. Before we dive into today's Daily Thunder message and begin talking about wild-eyed soldiers, I wanted to mention our upcoming training this summer. Starting on June 15th, Ellerslie is offering our very first online edition of our classic five-week discipleship training. And get this, we are offering it on a donation-only basis, which means there is absolutely no reason not to look into it and consider joining in on the fun. Please visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now let's visit a small jungle island in the Philippines in the year 1974, 29 years after World War II has ended, where a wild-eyed Japanese soldier continues to fight, adamantly believing that the war is, in fact, still going. So if you've been following along with the World War II series, uh, you would know that we're hanging out in sort of the first half of 1942. And what's significant about this little uh, section that I'm going through is we uh, have a new uh, opponent that has entered into the theater of war, and that is the Japanese. As of December 1st, 1942, with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, we have the declaration of war from the British government and the declaration of war from the American government and the Dutch, uh, and so against the Japanese. And so it's a very significant uh, explosion point in the war. And at the very beginning, the onset of the Japanese uh, martial strength, uh, it's going to shock, I think, the Allies of how formidable of a foe the Japanese are. They are not like any soldiers that uh, the Allies have ever run into. These guys are tough stuff. And when you even think through like the bombing of Pearl Harbor, this idea of a kamikaze. I remember when I was young and hearing about a kamikaze, I was just so, I thought it so odd and so intriguing at the same time that someone would be willing to give up their life for their country. It's interesting because there's going to be a parallel today where, where I'm trying to sort of unlock a mystery of the Japanese mindset in regards to how they view their dedication to their emperor and how they live that out is actually a strange parallel with our Christianity. And, but it's a, the Japanese version of it is like a, a twisting, a... a <laughs> A, a perversion of something that is really good. And so I can't help but show a certain level of admiration towards the Japanese uh, for how they are going to live and how they are going to work and how they are going to fight. At the same time, I, I have to also acknowledge that I can't support it. I am against their foundation because it is incorrect. And as a result, their end is off. And that's the same with so many different people uh, in this world. They are sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. And that's why truth is so important, to ground ourselves upon rocks so that when the winds and the rains beat against our house, we can stand the test of time. So I'm going to share a very unique story. Uh, it's a story that uh, has just sort of sat in my mind uh, for quite a few years since I first heard it. And 
it's uh, one of these things that I think as you, as you hear it, you'll understand why I've chewed on it and why it's been so fascinating to me. And I'm going to bring it into this uh, World War II uh, series now. And just because I think it, it fits, it's in the Japanese theater, even though what's going to take place is going to take place from 1944 on. Uh, it, it still is a part of where we're at in the uh, war story. Uh, so I'm calling this the wild-eyed soldier. Boy, I went all over the place with different titles for this one, but I think that's probably the best fit. Uh, you're going to be dealing with an individual soldier, uh, and we're going to do a little uh, in-depth look into his life and his decisions, and as a result, sort of reflect upon what we as Christians are called to do. Uh, this guy's name is Hiro Anoda, uh, which is a pretty cool name. You actually pronounce it Hiro. Uh, and he's an Imperial Japanese Army Intelligence Officer. So we're in 1944, and I, I'm really not trying to skip ahead. I'm more wanting to, to realize that this is, in 1942, the mentality and the ideal, ideology that is entering into World War II in the, in the theater of the Pacific. In 1944, at the age of 22, Hiro was dropped off on a small island in the Philippines with explicit orders from his commanding officer. He was ordered to do all he could to hamper enemy attacks on the island, including destroying the airstrip and the pier at the harbor. Anoda's orders also stated that under no circumstances was he to surrender. Hiro knew that he was under these orders until his commanding officer released him from them. Now, for most soldiers... In any other uh, military system, you're going to actually see a different response than what we're going to see with Hero. Now, what we're going to see in this is truly heroic. In fact, it's, uh, it's hard not to show a certain degree of admiration, though it also, I'm going to just acknowledge up front, looks a little kooky. Uh, in fact, what we're going to see in just the, the basic outline of what he is asked to do, he's asked to do something and under no circumstances is he to surrender. And the only time he is to be dismissed from his post is when his commanding officer asks him or declares him to be dismissed. So what happens if he's never dismissed? And that's actually why this story is so intriguing. So uh, World War II is going to end September 2nd, 1945. Remember, Hiro Inoda is going to arrive on this little small jungle island of the Philippines uh, in 1944. So he's, he's been there maybe for uh, about a year, maybe more uh, at this time. The war is going to conclude, and we have no evidence uh, that he was actually told that the war uh, concludes. We do have a book. He's going to ghostwrite, have, a, have his, his biography ghostwritten. It's called No Surrender. But World War II ends, uh, and then Hiro Inoto continues to fight in the Philippine jungles. Now, most of the time when, when wars end, you know, soldiers lay down their arms and they agree with the peace treaties. In this situa situation, Hiro Inoda is not going to stop fighting. And so 1945 to 1974, 29 years he is going to remain on this island as a soldier of the Japanese military with specific orders, not just from his emperor, but his specific commanding officer to never surrender. Until he is asked to lay down his arms, he is not to surrender. And to the Japanese, I, I recognize that to the American mindset, we cannot figure this guy out. But to the Japanese, 
This is a big deal, and that's what I'd like to go into because it should be a big deal for us as Christians as well. And so what we are seeing, though it is a perversion and a twisting of something that we as Christians highly esteem, it is still quite extraordinary to witness up close. So Hiro Inoda gives over his weapons on March 9th of 1974. Well, that, that, 29 years later. So here's, here's one of the key questions. What would cause him to do that? Okay, if some guy has fought so uh, vigorously and uh, with such intense devotion for 29 years, what would cause him to finally lay down his weapons? What would cause a soldier to keep fighting for 29 years even after the war has ceased? And so I'd like to dig into that a little with Hiro Inoda's own words. So he's going to come back to a dramatically changed Japan after 29 years. This is some kind of movie almost. You can, you can feel it, sort of like a time warp, time machine type of movie. And he's going to come back and everything has shifted from what he understood Japan to be. And so just listen to him in his own words. It's extremely fascinating. At that time, in 1944, if a soldier who had been taken prisoner later managed to return to Japan, he was subject to a court-martial and a possible death penalty. If a Japanese soldier was taken prisoner and then returned to Japan later, he would be court-martialed and very likely get the death penalty. Okay, so just if you recognize, this is the world that Hironoda comes from. This is his Japan in 1944. This is how intense the Japanese took it. If you were, before you're captured, you need to kill yourself. Hironoda's mom is going to give him a dagger uh, for, and basically tell him, kill yourself with this before they take you. Okay, now I, there's not that many moms out there that are going to think of doing that for their son. But that's the mentality of Japan in 1944 at this exact hour. So this is Hironoda. He continues on that point. Even if the penalty, speaking of the death penalty, was not carried out, this man, as he's speaking of, he, the one who was captured and imprisoned, he was so thoroughly ostracized by others that he might as well have been dead. Soldiers were supposed to give their lives for the cause, not grovel in prison camps. Okay, so this is an ideology, and you could say that you know, he was indoctrinated. That is the way that it could be said. He was indoctrinated by a Japanese mindset. But here's what's interesting. His patriotism, his duty, his loyalty, and his honor are things that all of us esteem. And yet we're like, well, but come on, bud. This is a little extreme. And I mean, you have to, there has to be some understanding in the Japanese government to know that you had no choice. You were just captured from behind and stuck in prison. However, there is no exception for that. It's, this is a complete shame issue. If a soldier is to ever leave his post before his commanding officer ever gives him uh, relief or leave, and if he is ever to set down his arms before he is required, and if he is ever captured alive. These are the worst shame points a soldier could ever have. And so you see this man fighting for 29 years on this jungle island in the Philippines because he's a good Japanese soldier. Simply put, he's doing what he has actually been trained to do. So he's going to continue. Hiro Inoda will say, uh, because they're going to actually, the Japanese government has a problem. I mean, you could just imagine. They, they're at, at peace terms with the Philippines and the United States and uh, Great Britain. And 
But we have a wild-eyed character. And by the way, he's not the only one. In the 50s, many of these hero Inoda sorts were rounded up. In the 60s, many were rounded up. And then even in the 70s, he has two other guys with him, and they are all of the same mindset. They are all going to continue to fight because, and listen to this, this is really fascinating. Hero Inoda's family is actually going to be flown down, and they're going to try and communicate with them. But he is convinced that they are, you know, under duress, there's no way that they're telling the truth. And listen, so listen to him in his own words. The search party that is coming to help find him and then call him home and, you know, make sure that he recognizes the war ended 29 years ago, buddy. Uh, it, you can set down your weapons. The search party left behind newspapers and magazines. Most of them were recent and a lot of them contained articles about the crown prince's marriage. The newspaper, which covered the period of about four months, made a stack nearly two feet high. Sorry, two fit high isn't the way it's supposed to be wrote, written. We thought they were reprints of the real Japanese newspapers doctored up by the American Secret Service in such a way as to eliminate any news that the Americans didn't, did not want us to see. So even 29 years later, they have a stack of newspapers and magazines, and they're convinced that they're doctored that they're just still trying to convince these soldiers that the war is over. We know it's not. And now how could he be so convinced that the war is not over? And so listen to his logic. This is extraordinary. And what's interesting is I've studied you know, the persecuted church and the different tactics, for instance, that the communists will use to try and convince a Christian to give up his position or to divorce his wife. Like Richard Wormbrand, a classic illustration where he is given this indication that Sabina has divorced him and so that he now needs to divorce her to free her so that she can get food. And so just sign this paper because this is, and they try and create a false reality. They told him that his son had given, was wearing the red scarf and that he had given himself over to communism. In other words, they'll do anything they can to defeat the soul and to put it under the boot. And so you can imagine these Japanese, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, I know you Americans, you guys have an elaborate spy network. You guys are up to no good. You're creating these doctored up magazines and newspapers to get us to lay down our arms. I bet, I bet there's hundreds of thousands of us soldiers that are still fighting and you're trying to convince us that it's over? Oh yeah, we're not falling for that. But listen to his logic of why he thinks these are doctored. This is all we could think, says Hironoda, as long as we could believe that the great East Asia war was still going on. And in a way, the newspapers confirmed that the war was still going on because they told a lot about life in Japan. If Japan had really lost the war, there should not be any life in Japan. Everybody should be dead. Listen, listen to this. This is extraordinary. When I arrived in the Philippines in 1944, the war was going badly for Japan and in, in the homeland. A hundred million, this is a quote, a hundred million souls dying for honor was on everybody's lips. This phrase meant literally that the entire population of Japan would die to a man before surrendering. I took this at face value, and I'm sure many other Japanese men, men did. I sincerely believed that Japan would not surrender so long as any one Japanese remained alive. Conversely, if one Japanese were left alive, Japan could not have surrendered. If it's true that the entire nation, which is 100 million, they were all ready to give up their lives before they would surrender. So should 
Hiro Inoda believed that they surrendered? That totally goes against everything he was brought up with, everything he was trained in. And so as a result, he's not going to believe this. And so as a result, he continues fighting for 29 years. Hiro Inoda continues, after all this, after all, this is what we Japanese had all vowed to each other. We had sworn that we would resist the American and English devils until the last single one of us was dead. If necessary, the women and children would resist with bamboo sticks, trying to kill as many enemy troops as they could before they were killed themselves. The Japanese wartime newspapers played this up with the strongest possible language. Struggle to the end. The empire must be protected at any cost. A hundred million dying for the cause. I was virtually brought up on this kind of talk. So I can get inside of his mind and say, if it's true that this is what the emperor has declared, this is how our nation is to work. Now, I need to give a little caveat here, and that is that to the Japanese, Emperor Hirohito was as God. And so as a result, when he issues an edict or an order or a mindset, uh, all of us ought to die, then it is as we would appropriate as a Christian, that which he believes in, that which is the cornerstone of his soul. This is his sense of virtue is rallying around that word of the emperor. And so that's why there's a very unique but perverse illustration here of how we as Christians function. I mean, it's, it's profound. So what eventually caused Hiro Anoda to lay down his weapons? Aren't you guys intrigued? What would cause this guy after, with such a deep-baked understanding of how he is to live, his entire infrastructure of thought is based around loyalty and duty. He cannot leave his post in good conscience until his commanding officer gives him leave. And his commanding officer has not given him leave. And even when his family comes and begs him to lay down his weapons, he knows they must be in trouble and they must be threatened. He doesn't know why they're compromising, but he can't listen to them because he knows how the Japanese work. And this is not how it works. If you want me to lay down my weapons, I need to have my commanding officer stand in front of me and ask me for my weapon. So... What are they going to do? March 9th, 1974, Hiro Inoda will exit the jungle. He will, have him, he will have with him rounds of ammunition, a well-maintained rifle, and hand grenades. Inoda is willing to stop fighting only when his commanding officer dismisses him from his post. In 1974, Emperor Hirohito, who's still alive, orders Anoda's previous commanding officer, who is now a bookseller in Japan, to fly to this island in the Philippines and formally dismiss Anoda from his post with honor. And that's exactly what happens. So they have a whole ceremony where you know, he'll hand over his, his weapon and his commanding officer dismisses him, and it's formal, and it's with honor. Remember, if he's ever captured, it's dishonor. It's shame. And so the only way to give him relief from his post is to actually do this. As bizarre as that is, that's what was needed to free Anoda. So what this brings up for us as Christians is the idea of faith. And like I said, though it's, it's difficult to use wartime illustrations in any regards because in a sense they can have a little corruption in them. There's a lot of motive in war that is very unlike God. And yet God himself is going to go out of the way in his word to declare that the, the, 
the system that we are in is a war. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But he still, he doesn't say, oh, you don't have weapons. No, we have weapons, and they are mighty to pulling down strongholds. And he over and over again is going to give war pictures to clarify for us how we engage in a spiritual battle. So therefore, even though when we study World War II, we can see a lot of human element. We can see a lot of human motive. We can see a lot of human corruption. We can see a lot of flesh. It gives us an indication into a spiritual understanding, a spiritual way of thinking and reasoning. And so with Hiro Inoda, who is not going to leave his post until his commanding officer gives him leave, if I could liken that to something, he is been given the word of his emperor, he's been given the word of his commander, and that is that he will gladly die before he will leave his post, before he will forsake his duty. And as a result, you see what many of us see as a maniacal kamikaze mentality, but as Christians, we sort of recognize it. We're like, huh, that's how the church has lived throughout the ages. We have been happy to surrender our life and to give it up. Now, we don't carry weapons of this world where we shoot people. This guy still killed like 20 to 30 Filipinos in the jungles over this 29-year period. In other words, he was serious business, hiding out and, and doing his thing. He was actually still in military mode. We don't kill people. We love people. So our chief weapon is love. It's a very different picture than Hiro Inoda. But it's similar in a strange way. And that's why I would say a, a, a definition of faith could be holding to the word of your commander. My commander said this, therefore I will not budge from my position. And you could get all a, st a stack of modern paraphernalia and, and media pieces and everyone could say, but everyone else is compromised. I don't care. I don't care if my family comes to me. I will not budge from this position. In other words, what we see in this modeling is actually profound. We see a picture of a man that has faith. But yes, his faith is in something unstable, but it's faith. So faith, and Noda had faith in the word of his emperor. He had faith in a system, which is why after World War II, when 100 million Japanese don't die, even though that was the motto, and Emperor Hirohito is actually going to step down and show human weakness and acknowledge that he is not God. I mean, this is going to wreck the entire religious system of and the mindsets of the Japanese culture because it was all wrapped around that. It, I mean, it would be the equivalent for us of God stepping down and going, by the way, my word isn't true and I, I wasn't all I was, said I was. I mean, that's literally how shocking it was to them because their belief system was in a man. It was in this, what they would look at as a deified man. And so as a result, you see this faith, but it's in the wrong place. They have placed it in the wrong system. Christians have faith in the word of God. It's not faith in the word of a pastor. It's not faith in the word of a government. It's not faith in anything but God's word, which is a distinction between us and the fanatical Japanese, but at least as Christians, we can give a head nod over to the Japanese and say, we actually do appreciate what's going on inside. We just sort of want to give you a foundation that is steady, that isn't going to shift like sand when the winds and the rains come. 
The basis of faith, well, it's confidence in the character, character of God very specifically. Think about this. He cannot lie. God cannot lie, as it says in Titus 1-2, but guess what? Emperor Hirohito can. God will not change, as it says in James 1-17. In him is no shadow of turning, and yet in Hirohito is a shadow of turning, which is going to totally disillusion uh, Hiro Inoda. He has no grid for an emperor that will say, all of us will die, and then, no, we're going to make peace terms uh, with the allies. I was like, what? I thought we were all going to die. I've, I've been in a jungle for 29 years fighting, and you made peace terms? How could, it totally is a change. Our God doesn't change. He is the same forever, as it says in Hebrews 13.8. So even though what we see with Hironota is an imperfect picture. It is an interesting illustration of how a Christian ought to live. That even when it seems that the world has calling for peace and the church has subsided into silence and given over uh, its authority and its weapons uh, to, the, to the enemy and no longer are we going to fight, no longer are we going to stand for souls, no longer are we going to proclaim that we have the way to the Father, even if... The word of God hasn't changed. For us as individual soldiers, we will stand our ground. And until the word of God changes, we will not change. And guess what? The word of God will never change. So therefore, we hold our ground and we stand at our post no matter what. So the writer of Hebrews says, now the just shall live by faith. So, hey, a good soldier, how do you handle it? How do you do it? If you're dropped off on the island of the Philippines with the word of God, You've been given a clear commission. What do you do? Well, you stay there and you hold your ground and you use your weapons as long as God has you there. And that's how his Christians work. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. It sounds a little Japanesey right there. And yet that's Christian. You see, the fact that the Japanese culture in 1944 had a shadow reflection of the kingdom of heaven is just, it's a, it's a compliment. There's a lot of positives in the Japanese culture back in the 1940s. Of course, they're going to hyperextend. They're going to go beyond what is healthy. They have virtues, I mean, of duty, patriotism, loyalty, hard work. I mean, these, this is one of the most extraordinary cultures you would ever study. And yet, it is going to overextend those qualities and make them dangerous to the point where they become harmful. Does that sound like something that can happen in Christianity? In other words, when you take qualities that we are supposed to show and you hyperextend them or you take them too far, you can actually do harm. And I mean, you'd look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees were dutiful. They were religious and yet they killed Christ. And they hunted down Christ's followers. Okay, obviously something's gone wrong. We have a distortion. In other words, those that have truth, they need to hold it in the way that God himself would hold it and how God himself would use it. The writer of Hebrews also says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Keep your ground, hold your post, keep your rifle clean, because our God is faithful. What, what is our promise? We know he's returning for us someday. And so it doesn't matter if it's 29 years, if it's 290 years, we're holding our ground and we're not budging. 
The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We recognize that there are going to be times in our faith where it needs to be tried. It needs to be tested. And there's going to be times when we're going to get stacks of newspapers and magazines that are going to try and refute everything that we know to be true. And we need to know what the truth is. And it's interesting because, like I said, even though Hironoda is basing his belief system on a faulty premise, it's fascinating to see his logic. It's the same as ours. It's like, well, this can't be true because my emperor says this. That's literally his logic. Well, that's our logic. This cannot be true, and I will not be be, uh, foiled by it because God's word says this. That's actually how we reason and how we think as Christians. The writer of Hebrews is also going to say in Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For each of us as Christians, in a sense, we have a 29-year battle on the jungle island in the Philippines. Each of us is given an assignment. We're given weapons and we're given an assignment. We're given a commission. And it is going to be challenging. What Hiro and uh, Anoda is going to go through is not something that you would wish on a good friend of yours. In other words, this is hard stuff. And yet, the nobility that shines forth, it's just interesting. He returned home a hero in Japan, even though he was disgusted with what happened with Japan. The Japanese culture recognized something. They recognized a quality in him that they had forsaken. Now, we could say, hey, guys, it would, would have probably been better if you didn't start with those you know, anticipations and those qualities. This whole kamikaze thing is a little dangerous. However, it's a virtue in the kingdom of heaven that was perverted in Japan. That's, that's what happened. In other words, it's not that the idea itself was bad. Many of us throw out things because they're, they get perverted. Just like duty and seriousness and focus and study and intellectual pursuit. The, all of these things can be perverted. Or even love and compassion can become love and compassion, this ooey-gooey feel instead of solid justice as well. In other words, it's knowing how to balance the right and the left in the kingdom of heaven. Those things that God says are true here also need to be balanced with these things. And when you get the body of Christ functioning in, in alignment with the spirit of truth, you actually have a picture of the kingdom of heaven on earth. In Hero and Noda, we have a perversion, a distortion. But if you can work through the cloud bank, you can see it and go, you know what? That's pretty amazing. It really is. Father, I ask that you would build within us a resolution that we would freshly heed the word of our commander, that we would freshly look to the word of God and recognize that we have an assignment and we have weapons. Lord, may we be inspired, even though this illustration is an imperfect one. Lord, I pray that we would be inspired to keep our post, to hold our ground, to suffer well in faith, knowing that our God cannot lie and he cannot change and he will always remain the same. Lord, we place our confidence and our faith afresh in you this morning. It's in the great name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.